One, where were you born? Perth. Two, how old are you? 28, I think. <laughs> Three, what sort of music do you like? Triple J indie type stuff. Four, what food do you cook for friends? Usually something pasta-based. Five, what holiday destination do you want to visit next? Uh, ride a horse up through the Rockies, up through Montana and North Dakota. Six, do you have an exercise routine? Pretty keen road cyclist, so my idea of fun is getting up on the road bike and cycling 100 kilometres on a weekend. Seven, where did you learn how to code? It was raining one afternoon on a weekend. Dad decided that it would be a great idea to teach me programming. Eight, what is your default programming language today? Uh, if it counts, PowerShell. Nine, what is your job title? Head of Software Development. Ten, how long have you been at Redify? I'm one month shy of it being eight years. Yeah, yeah, cool. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Khan Raja. This is episode three of Getting to Know Our Redify Consultants. The very, so the very first bit of software that I actually built was um, we had dial-up internet function. Uh, we only had one phone line. Uh, Dad was on call for work. Whenever we dialed up, we needed to divert the phone line. And then whenever I disconnected from the internet, we had to undervert it to the cost bomb to redirect um, phone calls to mobile back in, in the day and age it was analog mobile um, and I always got to do this and always had trouble and uh, this seems like a, a solvable problem so I went out and built a little bit of software which auto designed and undeveloped the phone. Tatham Oddy is the head of software development at Redify. But then that kind of drifts into well this is something you could go and uh, you know, sell to the other people around the where dad works. That led into this kind of early approach to business. Now Sold it for like five bucks a pop and sold about three copies, but that was kind of cool. Through school, uh, with some friends, we started to drift into all kinds of different crazy ideas. And along the way, we more what I got out of it than any commercial success was a whole bunch of experience. Uh, we were building an online store where you could buy a bunch of stuff, but then we uh, had this server which we were running, which I had to learn how to run a server. And then we went, oh, wow, we can <laughs> run free unlimited mail, like email on here. We started to think about the email scenario at our school, which is in high school, and it was pretty bad. And the school wanted to really control email. So we thought, you know what, we can, we can build something here where we offer email services to the school as a, a hosted platform. Um, being a not a very great pragmatist uh, at this point in my life, um, <laughs> I ended up in this point where I didn't know how to kind of automate driving some existing mail server product or working that out. So the next thing I know, I'm, I'm reading the RFC for uh, the SMTP and POP3 protocol and building my own mail server from scratch. So I got this great little low-level understanding of it, which continues to this day to pay dividends, so understanding what's actually happening under the covers in the network and, and, and being able to pull that stuff apart. He's 28, based in Melbourne, and passionate about solving complex problems using technology. Work experience comes along year 10, and uh, they, you know, you've got to go somewhere for a week and work there. So the only company I knew, company in Sydney, SSW, run by Adam Fogan. Um, I'd seen them at a Microsoft event somewhere. They were at the, the launch of Office 2003 or something. So I applied for work experience there for a week. Adam kept me around. So by the Thursday afternoon, I actually had an employment contract there, and I worked there two afternoons a week after school on Sundays, building out a little product for him. But what he then did through that was he used to run the .NET user group. So what school does run the .NET user group in Sydney. It was originally the Access user group, and then it was the BB.NET user group, and now it's the .NET user group. He went and really pushed me. He goes, you know, there's the stuff you're doing. I need to present it this month. You present. Like, Holy crap, no, I, I don't want to present. I didn't know anything about presenting. Why would I want to get part of the audience? But 
pushed and supported and encouraged me to do that. And that got me into then going and talking about and sharing what we do, which has been one of the biggest drivers of my entire career to date, like really getting out and engaging with the community actively. And it all started from those user groups. Um, and then that was actually where I ultimately met some of the other people who were out there engaged who were Redify people at the time, and someone ended up as my flatmates because they were looking for a house, and then they ended up as my co-workers. Here we are today. Today, I gave Tatham a call to talk to him about his pathway into his work, what he's been up to this past week, some of the changes he's seen over the years, and what he enjoys most about working at Redify. So you mentioned that it's been eight years. How did that play out? Yeah, so I joined as a senior consultant. Um, at the, the lower end of senior consultant, typically during the hiring process, um, the, the kind of the brief or the view was that I was on the borderline between senior developer and senior consultant. And uh, at the time, I had a bit of a choice of do I want to be a, a good senior developer and come in and, you know, one of the better word, cruise for kind of six months and, and life would be easy, or did I want to start in as, uh, as just on the edge of a junior senior consultant and be measured as a senior consultant and just work bloody hard? Um, of course, I chose the senior consultant option out of those two. I spent three years as a senior consultant. Um, then I moved into the PC role. Uh, at that stage, we didn't have the concept of lead consultant. We didn't have as many roles as we have now. Um, we developed that a little bit later. So I was in the PC role for three years. The mm-hmm. first part of that was really what's the equivalent of now our LC or lead consultant role, mm-hmm. um, but finished up in that principal consultant area. And then from there was the transition across to CIO. That was back in April 2014, so just shy of two years ago, um, uh, 20 months or whatever it is. Um, and then, what was it, last week, week before, starting to move into this new role, which is really about responding to the changing structure of our organisation. How would you describe one of the main differences between SDs and SCs? little one-liner description I give of the difference between the roles. A senior developer works effectively in a team. A senior consultant effectively runs a team. A lead consultant effectively runs a customer and a principal consultant runs many customers. What is our target here? Or more to the point, what is Redify's mission? We help companies innovate and we do that with software. So for a long time, we've been a a development-based business. We write code. Or before we wrote code, we taught people how to write code. We started as a training business. We we used to have like a book and a curriculum and people would come in and they'd sit down for a class for a week and we would teach them .NET and that's where we started. And then as people went, let's call that smart trainer person. So then we ended up doing consulting. How about we do it properly from the start, right? Let's run a project. We're good at not just the coding, but we know about process and we're good at those agile principles and, and we can deliver a project here. At the point that they have a business problem, Let's help them solve that. And our tool set is technology driven by software. We've got good, agile, lean principles, MVP, but it's not just about coding. Sometimes we need to go and understand user experiences. We need to start with some personas. We need to talk to some users and understand what they're trying to achieve. Or we might want to help people make uh, get information more accessible. But there's also a, a quite an art to information architecture. Or we might want to do some analysis about building a model and a scenario and doing regression analysis to work out what the, the sensitive variables are in a particular system where that system is a, is a business or a market or a, 
Mm. And these are all other skills which complement development and they roll up into software. So I think as we deliver software, we use designers and UX practitioners and analysts and data scientists and statisticians and coders, the scrum masters and the people who can teach product owners. We help customers innovate with technology. I really relate to that. And in a way, it's interesting to see how that mission falls out into our changing structure. You mentioned, which I do definitely want to talk about at some point, Redify's culture. How would you put some notes around what is the culture at Redify? I've got this kind of two-part view of culture. My personal view of what our culture is and how it's changing and how it's growing and all those types of things. Really hard to drive or define a culture. All we can do as managers is try the best as possible to create the environment that enables and sustains a great culture. So much of that, though, is about the, the people who work in the business. You, you need to find the culture. So mm. we go to um, an incredibly varied set of environments, and we get it done. Like, I, I remember working on um, a pretty major consumer website here in Australia, and we were getting performance problems coming out of the site. Every five minutes, we call it IPDP, the Intermittent Page Delivery Problem, because about every five minutes or so, but not quite that regular, the site would just freeze for, like, 30 seconds and not respond to any requests. Um, mm. and just lock them up. And we um, we got all the way through the depths of our AFP.net knowledge, and we couldn't solve it. At some, one point, we were down in the Windows kernel, and we were, like, I had source code for Windows kernel up on my screen through agreements mm. with Microsoft and was running debuggers through HTTP sys. Um, <laughs> we had, I, I learned so much about TCP and low-level networking and all kinds of things, mm. and we we found the answer, and we fixed it. And do we go out and sell ourselves as HTTP C++ Windows kernel debuggers with a great knowledge of how a TCP protocol works? No. And did I know that a month before? No. But as a team, we got in there and went, there's a solution here, and it's software, and we'll chase this thing to the end. So those sorts of approaches define who we are. We've talked about the Redify hive mind. You'll see one person, maybe, or like five people or something at your site, but behind them is this team of, 50 or 100 or 150, as we grew, amazing other people who were there on Yammer and Techless and Slack and Skype for Business and all of those tools to back people up. And and having that as the expression to the customer is, you know, this person's amazing, but they're backed by everyone. And for that person, culturally, be able to turn around and go, holy crap, guys, this thing's broken and, like, this major consumer website is falling over and I've got no idea how I'm going to fix this. Help. And then having somebody jump in and go, yep, sweet, like, give me a call and let's talk through it. I guess there's an aspect to asking for help when you need it. That's something that we all should try to do as much as we can. Autonomy doesn't mean go and disappear on your own and do everything yourself. Autonomy is you don't need to be managed and directed and and told what to do, right? So how are you going to lead through solving a particular problem? But then it turns, one of the key tools to how you're going to solve the problem is use the people around you and engage with them and mm. get them to help you and work with them. It's not so much just to throw up, you know, the, the flag in the air and go, I need help. Mm. You know, the, the cavalry should come running and, and that's what we're there to do with a team. I think a lot of people around me see presenting as a challenge. So the, the concept here isn't about everybody must present. It's going to participate in the community around you. I personally find presenting to be an incredibly valuable way to do it, but it's not the only way to do it, right? 
getting engaged in the community can be running good open source projects, running a podcast. There's yeah. writing a good blog and, and sharing high quality content. But of the biggest bang for buck, for me, I felt that that's been presenting. Presenting starts in lots of different ways. It can be a five-minute lightning talk at a bar camp. There are tech events where people, it's designed for people who are first-time presenters. It's amazing how supportive audiences are in general. I have a, a fairly structured way to do it. About each 12 to 18 months, I would consciously pick a topic which I would align to. 2010, maybe. Uh, I picked geolocation in the browser. That was going to be my topic for 18 months. Right? It's reasonably esoteric, but also broad reaching at the same time. Mm. And I picked this because looking in the Microsoft ecosystem, if I wanted to get into a major event like Mix over in Vegas and speak at Mix, if I put in a topic which said, I'm going to do what's new in Internet Explorer 9, I'm not going to get up. So if the product team will do it. I, I break a, a topic down into a series of modules, and I build my first presentation as a collection of modules. Those modules will be five to ten minutes each, and say it's a 45-minute presentation. You, you, know, you pad out some stuff around the front and back, but you'll do, say, four or five modules. That first presentation I do somewhere smaller, like a user group or something like that. I test it out. I learn what works. But along the way, I'm also building up all of the feedback and the results. So I live on presenter feedback in these scenarios, and most presenters do. If you look behind the scenes at places like NDC and TechEd and all those big events, there's a speaker room where they most of the time literally have a, a big 50-inch plasma screen up that has a real-time leaderboard of the feedback coming in. And then there's a, like a golden mic that gets presented to the best speaker, and there's all this stuff that happens behind the scenes. People live off feedback. This is why we harp on so much about fill out your eval forms at the end of the talk. And I package all of that up in a neat little bow, and that's what I go and submit to larger conferences. Here are some of the slides. Here's a video recording of you doing it previously. And I know that when I do this, I get 4.7 stars out of 5 as my aggregate feedback because here's awesome. the data. And that then would get me into those larger events, which then start to build the brand, which then you know, it yeah. all kind of spirals up from there. So there's quite a conscious process behind mm. how I would revisit that each year, which yeah. I didn't sit down and go, oh, my God, I'm just going to learn all this in a week. Over a 12 to 18 months, boy, I learned more about it. And then the next year I'd revisit and go, what's my topic this year? What did they learn about that? Mm. Mr. Doddold, who works for us, Steve Doddold, he, uh, he hasn't been presenting. He started to talk about maybe looking at doing something there. Um, I didn't see enough action, so I went and submitted a talk on his behalf under his name to Code Camp, um, <laughs> and he got accepted. This would have been PFF 2005 or maybe 2008, but this particular event, Code Camp, was in Wagga Wagga. It was equally inconvenient between Sydney and Melbourne, and horrible for everyone. Mm. And I still remember Steve driving from Canberra uh, up to Sydney and across to Wagga Wagga with his uh, desktop PC. Uh, and then as he started to do more presenting around the country, it involves him getting his desktop PC, wrapping it in pillows, putting it in a duffel bag, and flying it around the country to do these presentations. Virtualization was the way to do it, and he needed it to be reliable. He couldn't trust doing it over the web. So he got a desktop PC, he wrapped it in pillows, and flew it around the country. That's super cool. It is interesting to think about how presenting has been at the core of a lot of what you've achieved in, in, at Redify you know, over the many years. I mean, just the fact that you've met Redify people through presenting a, a user group at SSW. All right, now we've gone over time, so I'm going to let you go. But um, I've learned a lot, and I think it's been really great. Yeah, thank you. It was good. 
Well, there we have it. This has been episode three of Getting to Know Our Redify Consultants with Tatham Oddie. I'm Khan Raja. Thanks for listening.